Welcome once again to At Home in Your Hymnal, Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. For the last several for the last several episodes, we've been looking at hymns in Lutheran service book. We've uh, dubbed this little thing uh, hymns that every Lutheran should know, and uh, that may or may not be true. That's kind of a subjective thing. But uh, we've looked at and analyzed several hymns, and today we're going to look at a very, very popular hymn in LSB, and that is hymn number 633, at the Lamb's High Feast We Sing. We're going to be uh, listening to the verses. We're going to be uh, analyzing the verses at the end of our program. We'll run it through the Wolf Mueller Hymn Cruncher, and uh, we'll have a little fun with this. Uh, great hymn, very popular hymn, very catchy tune. It has a long history and a short history in uh, the Lutheran Church, and we'll uh, try to make some sense of that, too, in a little bit. Uh, Pastor Moline, how are you today? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Are you ready to uh, dig into this particular hymn? As good as we can be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we are. Uh, we're listening to this uh, to this hymn sung by the Lutheran Warbler, who has uh, almost three thousand subscribers on YouTube, and uh, it's been kind of hard to uh, find a uh, hymn, uh, this particular hymn in. Uh, uh, on uh, on the internet anywhere because this hymn has a variety of tunes and the tune that we sing in the Lutheran Church is uh, one of many and uh, if you don't believe me just uh, go on the internet and have some fun and play around pastor the uh, hymn at the bottom of 633 way down in the tiny little print in the corner it says text latin uh, about 5th through the 10th century. Now, that's a 500-year span. It so, is. Uh, so what, what can you tell us about the uh, origin of this hymn when uh, it seems like uh, it's, it's not real concrete as to the who, what, where, when, and how? Yeah, the uh, the wide scale there that you see in when this hymn originated is uh, because there's not a lot of certainty. The tradition used to be that it was a 7th century uh, hymn, is the first time it's kind of recorded, which means it was written before that time, and that it is an Ambrosian hymn, which means uh, perhaps has its roots in St. Ambrose of Milan, who um, lived in the... Um, uh, late 4th, early 5th century uh, A.D. Uh, in Italy. Um, and uh, the hymn was supposed to be a Ambrosian hymn because uh, it imitates his stanzic form, style, and meter, uh, and it has kind of the, the same sort of theology that Ambrose would have been uh, preaching and teaching. Uh, Ambrose, very famous uh, in Western Christianity, uh, and so he's an important figure. The reality, though, is that it's probably written later and imitating other Ambrosian hymns, uh, and that kind of information has come to light here in the, the last years, and so we no longer can be real certain that it was written by Ambrose. We just know somewhere between the 5th and the 10th centuries when we first have it recorded for us. Okay, and uh, many of these 
ancient Latin hymns are just sitting around in the dust bins of time unless someone takes it, goes through to the work of translating it, finds an appropriate tune that uh, that would fit the the meter, the words. And this is um, this is something that is a difficult task. And every once in a while, we have one of these hymns that makes its way into um, the more popular hymnals. This was translated by a gentleman by the name of Robert Campbell. And he lived in the 19th century, 1814 to 1868. And this hymn in Lutheranism really didn't get popular until the late 1960s, early 1970s, 1980s in that time frame. And it immediately became uh, very, very popular. And I would be hard-pressed to find a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod congregation that doesn't know, sing, and love this particular hymn. So it was really lost to time for many, many centuries. And uh, I was uh, reading in the... uh, hymnal companion for Lutheran worship, and uh, they say that the Roman Catholic Church suppressed this hymn uh, for a time, and uh, now it's back, and with all these different tunes, and it's sung in a wide variety of Christian churches, but mostly in Lutheran churches to the particular tune that we're going to be hearing. Yeah, in fact, I think uh, it is an important hymn for us in the sense that it does connect us all the way back to the very early time of the church. And I would say uh, the histories that I've read about this here in preparation uh, kind of make reference to the fact that this connects us in some ways back to very early um, Holy Saturday services and Easter vigil services, and that's part of the reason that it uh, does such a, a great reference to the sacraments of Holy Baptism and uh, Holy Communion. And so I, I think that's really great then, because it indicates, you know, we have no problem using this hymn today, uh, even though it connects us back to a past um, that that uh, is a long time ago, because we're still doing the same sort of things. We still baptize, we still have the Lord's Supper, and we still believe that faith comes to us through these things as well as through the word and so it's kind of a neat thing in that regard the uh, the hymn uh, the history of the hymn in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod this hymn was introduced to the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod in the hymnal supplement uh, and uh, this hymnal supplement is uh, technically from 1969, a little bitty red supplement that you may be familiar with. And some of the hymns in there made it, and uh, most of them didn't. But it was uh, a supplement to TLH, hymn 733. It had six verses, not eight. And the verses are a little bit different in translation than what we have them today. When Lutheran worship came out, it was uh, put in the section for an Easter hymn, and it was hymn 126, and it has the eight verses that we have now in LSB. In LSB, it is in the Lord's Supper section, hymn 633. So I guess maybe one of the questions we need to address, Pastor, is this an Easter hymn or is this a Lord's Supper hymn? Yes. Okay. I mean, I, I don't think that we can uh, separate those things. Um, 
in the sense that when we come to the Lord's Supper, we are definitely partaking of the risen and living Jesus Christ, eating that body and blood for the forgiveness of our sins, life, and salvation. And so uh, it is kind of Eastery in its uh, themes, but it also is very much centered around the Lord's Supper, and it really can be sung um, any of the times of the church year that aren't penitential in nature. I think one of the reasons why it may be included in the Lord's Supper section in LSB, sometimes we think that we can only sing Easter hymns during the season of Easter, and by putting a hymn like this in the Lord's Supper section, I think it gets a little bit wider um, use. So, Pastor, do you want to read verse 1, and uh, we'll listen to verse 1. We've got eight verses, but they're very short verses, so I uh, trust that we'll be able to get through this in uh, in uh, our program today, episode 44 of At Home in Your Hymnal. Verse 1. 633, At the Lamb's High Feast we sing. At the Lamb's High Feast we sing, praise to our victorious King, who has washed us in the tide, flowing from his pierced side, Alleluia. Okay, so just a few words about that before we listen to that uh, first verse. Pastor, um, at the Lamb's High Feast we sing. Are we talking about the High Feast of Easter? Are we talking about the High Feast of the Lord's Supper? Or are we talking about the high feast that uh, we will all celebrate on the last day, uh, the never-ending feast of the Lamb and his bride, the church? I don't think that we can uh, distinguish these things from one another because, in a sense, they're all true. Uh, each time we meet for church and have the Lord's Supper, in a way, it is a little Easter. We're celebrating the resurrection and the life that we've been given because of it. Uh, and so, in that sense, every single Sunday service is a picture of what happened on Easter. And uh, it is also, then, at the same time, a foretaste of the meal that is to come with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. And so, uh, the magnitude of what happens every Every single time we have the Lord's Supper is important for us to wrap our brains around, and yet still very difficult to do so. We we have, through the eight verses of this hymn, just amazing poetic imagery drawn from the scriptures, and it's impossible to narrow a hymn like this down to three or four Bible verses because it really wraps up biblical theology in so many different ways. Pastor, the Lamb. At the Lamb's high feast we sing. We've talked about this before. What's the significance of that lamb imagery? Yeah, well, it's primarily a reference to Jesus Christ, who is, according to St. John and also the book of Revelation, uh, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so it is referencing Jesus there, but it's referencing him as the fulfillment of the Old Testament Passover meal, where uh, the lamb was slain and roasted and the blood covered the door so that death passed over. It's carrying all that imagery in there as well and putting that into the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so we have all these things uh, throughout Scripture, there's even more than we have time to talk about, uh, referencing the Messiah as the Lamb of God, and uh, we know that that is Jesus that it's referencing. In this first li- uh, uh, first stanza, we have the Lamb, we have a victorious King, and then what he has done, who has washed us in the tide, 
and you get that that uh, tidal wave picture there. And baptism. I wouldn't just leave it at uh, tidal wave, yeah. Yes, but that tidal wave imagery flowing from his pierced side. So blood and water flows from his side. We have this recorded for us in the Gospel of John. In 1 John chapter 5, we talk about water, blood, and spirit that are testifying. That's an obvious reference to baptism, correct? It is, um, and and also to the crucifixion. And uh, when we see that crucifixion, I love there's a lot of paintings uh, and even some modern art that picture the water and blood flowing from Christ's side and angels collecting it, the water in the baptismal font, and the blood and the chalice used for the Lord's Supper. And that's the same imagery that we should picture when we hear those words. Okay, let's listen to verse 1 of hymn 633. At the Lamb's High Feast we sing. There you have it. That was verse 1 of LSB 633 at the Lamb's High Feast we sing. We need to take a short break. We'll come back and look at a few more verses in our next segment. This is At Home in Your Hymnal. Don't change that dial. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline. We're looking at hymns every Lutheran should know. We're analyzing today hymn 633, At the Lamb's High Feast We Sing, a uh, Latin tune or a Latin hymn from uh, the somewhere between the 5th and the 10th centuries, uh, maybe Ambrose, or at least inspired uh, by Ambrose's style, translated in uh, the mid-1800s by Robert Campbell. The tune to uh, At the Lamb's High Feast We Sing is a, uh, is a wonderful tune, a, a tune that is uh, um, easy to sing. It is a 16th century tune, and... One, uh, one little interesting note that I discovered was, um, uh, and here again, this is from page 141 and 142 of the Hymnal Companion for Lutheran Worship, which says, At the Lamb's High Feast we sing has been sung to various tunes. The happy union of text and tune was suggested by Edward W. Clammer for inclus- inclusion in Worship Supplement 1969. At that time, Clammer was manager of the music department of Concordia Publishing House and a member of the hymn committee of the Commission on Worship of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. The harmonization was originally prepared by Jan O. Bender for worship supplement. So this is a fairly recent uh, bringing together of text and tune. We're talking, uh, you know, 
1960s that uh, has really taken on almost a life of its own in the Lutheran Church, Pastor. Yeah. You know, I know you're you're uh, you, you did not grow up in the Lutheran Church. Uh, had you had you heard of or been exposed to this hymn before you became a Lutheran? Uh, no, I hadn't. Um, but it's one of those ones that does really well at combining the text and the tune, and just because those two were put together in the last uh, few years doesn't mean that the tune itself is that young. Uh, you know, it comes from a, an old, um, I don't know what you'd call it, kind of a, uh, not a bar tune, but uh, a common folk tune, maybe there's the word folk tune, uh, about a, a rich man who had ridden out, and I think in German the tune was called Der Reichmann war geritten aus, and uh uh, that that's the source of the tune then. So it does have some depth of time in the tune, but uh, I don't think it really stuck into any of our minds until it was combined with this great text from even longer before that. And I think that's always an important thing to find the right tune for the right text. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, we need to shout out to the Bohemian Brethren since I'm half Bohemian, but the uh, Bohemian Brethren are really the ones that took this common folk tune and uh, started using it in a more sacred way. And uh, the Bohemian Brethren did that a lot, so we uh, we're thankful for that for that to them. Pastor, do you want to read verse two? Sure. Praise we Him whose love divine gives His sacred blood for wine, gives His body for the feast. Christ the victim, Christ the priest. Alleluia. Okay. Now. Uh, in my sources here, uh, during the time of rationalism that was uh, ripping through all of Christianity, including the Roman Catholic Church, it was uh, lines like this in stanza two that uh, really caused people some concern. What do we have here theologically going on, Pastor? Praise we him whose love divine, okay, love divine, all love excelling, God is love. There, there's no, nothing controversial here gives his sacred blood for wine, gives his body for the feast, Christ the victim, Christ the priest. Um, theologically, what, what are we talking about here, Pastor? Well, we're talking about the true, real presence of Jesus Christ in, with, and under the bread and the wine given for us Christians to eat and drink for the forgiveness of our sins. Uh, and, and that's really amazing when we talk about that because I think that's something that lots of times we just kind of glance over and don't realize how important and uh, uh, amazing this reality is for us. And not only that, we have the confession that we do eat Christ's body and drink his blood in the Lord's Supper, but we also see that he's the sacrifice uh, who takes away the sin of the world, the victim, and he's also the priest who offers it before God on our behalf so that we can be forgiven of our sins. And so we see how really all these Old Testament ideas are fulfilled again in the personal work of Jesus Christ. That line, Christ the victim, Christ the priest, is uh, one of those lines that is is so staggering in the fact of its magnitude. True God and true man. He freely, willingly allowed himself to go to the cross, to suffer, to bleed, and to die. And yet at the same time, he is our great high priest, as we read about in the book of Hebrews, who offers himself as the once and for all sacrifice for sin. That is just a power-packed phrase. And and to be able to bring across all that rich theology in, boy, how many words? Six? In six words, uh, just uh, really shows the uh, genius 
genius of the hymn and the translation and the ability uh, of those who are gifted to teach our theology in a simple way. One of the things that sometimes is a little bit confusing in this particular hymn is this this whole talk about the Lord's Supper, the Paschal Feast, uh, John 6, all these things, all these images come through in this hymn, and we need to keep them separate. They are related, but we need to keep them separate as well. And so as we walk through this hymn, we'll, we'll do our best to bring out each of those distinct images that are here. Lutherans believe, teach, and confess that when you go to the Lord's Supper, you receive four things. You receive bread and wine, and you receive the very body and blood of Jesus in, with, and under that wine. This is a divine mystery. This is something that we cannot explain or fully even appreciate. We can simply give thanks to God for the way that he distributed, distributes Jesus, forgiveness, life, and salvation in his majestic gifts. Let's listen now to verse 2 of LSB 633, At the Lamb's High Feast We Sing. Christ the victim, Christ the priest. I get shivers up my spine every time I hear or sing that verse. Let's go on, Pastor. Verse 3, do you want to read those words? Where the paschal blood is poured, death's dread angel sheaths the sword. Israel's host triumphant go through the wave that drowns the foe. Alleluia. Okay, now we have more rich biblical imagery that is uh, brought out. We talked about this just a little bit in our first segment. Where the paschal blood is poured, death's dread angel sheathes the sword. Now, this is a reference to the Passover lamb that is shed, the blood blood of the lamb that is put on the doorposts, the angel of death passes over where the blood is, and otherwise the angel of death does its thing. What, a, uh, what an amazing word picture. Death's dread angel sheathes the sword. Pastor? Yeah, it definitely is a reference to the Passover in that regard, and it's great because when the sword is in its sheath, it doesn't kill. It's not able to kill. Um, you know, you, I suppose you could bludgeon someone with it in there uh, like you see in the movies, but it, it makes it safe, if you will. And uh, that's the great thing about the blood of Jesus Christ is that it makes us safe. And I think important here is that it's not just the Passover itself that takes place that's important, but also we, we also have the crossing of the Red Sea after that in which the people pass through water and are brought to the Holy Land on the other side, if you will. We see that again in the Old Testament as the people people of Israel cross the Jordan River into the the promised land. And so we have all these pictures and we see their fulfillment in the personal work of Jesus Christ. That word paschal, pastor, uh, that's a word that sometimes escapes Christians. What does that word mean? Yeah, um, it's kind of a word that... um, 
is difficult to find a, a real good uh, definition for because uh, it is a transliterated word, but it, it relates to the Passover. Essentially, that's what it means. Uh, and for us as Christians, it's not just Passover then. Uh, we also celebrate the fulfillment of the Passover in the season of Easter and in the Feast of Easter. And so it has that kind of time of the year that it's celebrating as well as um, the events of the Passover and of Good Friday and Easter all brought together in that word. It's uh, it's interesting to note that the appointed epistle reading for Easter Sunday in the one-year series is from 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And people hear this and they think, how in the world does this connect me to Easter? 1 Corinthians 5, beginning at verse 6. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Pastor, connecting Easter, the Passover lamb, and the new life in Christ here in 1 Corinthians 5. Yeah, I mean, I guess we've already talked about that in the sense that every church service we celebrate is a little Easter. Every time we have the Lord's Supper is a little Easter. And uh, essentially, when we get to God's kingdom, which is to come, we'll be celebrating Easter uh, world without end and the, the great victory that's been won on our behalf. All right, let's listen to verse 3 of LSB 63 Pastor you mentioned before the connection between the Easter vigil and the images that we have here. Now, I know one of the main readings in the Easter Vigil is Israel triumphantly passing through the Red Sea waters. Mm -hmm. uh, your big Easter Vigil guy, in the time that we have left in this segment, why is that passing from death to life? Why is, how is that uh, brought out in that Easter Vigil service? Well, uh, in a sense, it's taking the entire 40 years of wandering in the wilderness of the uh, children of Israel and condensing its memory into one service. It also has the uh, years of exile and Babylon condensed into the one service. Uh, it has all these events, uh, the 400 years of slavery uh, led out into uh, uh, freedom through the Red Sea condensed into that service. And so all these great pictures where you go from bondage of one thing into to uh, freedom and life and peace of another, uh, that all happens here in, um, in the Easter Vigil service, and, and it's really uh, intense in that regard, which is kind of a neat thing to experience. And it's also a visual thing because of all the things. We hear it, we see it, we taste it, all of these things coming together in that great and majestic service. We need to take a short break. This is at home in your hymnal. We're looking at hymn 633 at the Lamb's High Feast we sing. Alleluia. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNA. 
LP 95.7 FM Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal, Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. The purpose of our program, At Home in Your Hymnal, is to help you to be more at home in your hymnal. It's pretty simple. And we have, in the previous episodes, we've done a detailed study of the divine service. We've looked at many things surrounding the history and theology of a distinctively Lutheran worship. We've looked at the Psalms as a part of worship. We've looked at the funeral service in depth. Uh, Several episodes ago, we began a series on hymnody, and we plan on uh, keeping this up um, for quite some time, seasonally through the church year. And we hope that this is a blessing for you individually uh, corporately when you come to church and are more familiar with the doctrine and theology behind some of the hymns, and also as a resource to help you teach yourself and your family for family devotions or individual time in God's Word and in the hymnal. We, uh, we encourage everybody to have a hymnal in their home. The current hymnal of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod is Lutheran Service Book. You can go to cph.org to get uh, the hymnal and many resources that go along with the hymnal. Um, Pastor, maybe a word or two at this point would be appropriate. We've gone through the first three stanzas of LSB 633 at the Lamb's High Feast we sing. With regard to the importance of singing at home and teaching your kids the joy of singing. Well, <clears throat> I think teaching your kids to sing is important, and and especially to teach them to sing hymns. And perhaps you can kind of start to understand this when you think about the way that you learn the alphabet, right? Um, you don't just say A, B, C, D to your kid until they can repeat it, but you set it to a tune, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, right? And it's Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, uh, and I think a couple other little songs that kids learn. And the reason that you do this is because um, your brain works in such a way then that it writes it in more than one place in your memory. Uh, I'm using computer terms there, but uh, both sides of your brains remember it, and uh, that allows you to learn things more quickly and to bring them to mind more quickly. And so when you learn a hymn, especially one with great deep theology like At the Lamb's High Feast We Sing— you have it written in more than one place in your mind. You're able to recall the words and the theology. You're able to uh, recall those words and theology set to tune uh, from a different part of your brain. And uh, it's amazing the way it works. I, I had a member in uh, North Dakota that I used to visit that had had a stroke and was unable to speak and have a conversation. But if you could sing a hymn or even uh, uh, sing the parts of the liturgy, because it's written in different parts of your brain, uh, he was able to sing along and to uh, follow along with the service in that way, even though he was unable to speak. And I think that shows kind of the key for that. Uh, When we teach a kid to sing a hymn, that theology and tune and music is going to be with them all the days of their life. 
Well said. And uh, this particular <clears throat> hymn is got an easy tune, and it's an easy one to sing and an easy one to learn. Some uh, some hymns have more difficult tunes, and the more time and the more difficulty that it takes to learn a hymn generally means the longer it sticks in that brain as well. Pastor, let's go to uh, stanza four of LSB 633, At the Lamb's High Feast We Sing. Do you want to read that stanza? Stanza four. Praise we Christ, whose blood was shed, Paschal victim, Paschal bread, with sincerity and love, eat we manna from above. Alleluia. Okay, and here's where we get a verse that uh, might be just a little bit confusing because it takes two particular biblical themes and brings them together. And uh, we, need, we need to just sort this out. There, there is no confusion here. There's no contradiction of theology. We're continuing on, you know, praise we Christ whose blood was shed. Um, his Good blood, Friday. His yep. blood was shed on the cross on Good Friday. Paschal victim, Paschal bread. And, uh, you know, that continues that Christ the pre- victim, Christ the priest imagery there. It just introduces something new where it says Paschal victim, Paschal bread. Now, there's two different things going on here. The Paschal, you know, for Christians today is pretty much synonymous with uh, Easter. And so we're making a reference to how we eat the bread in the Lord's Supper, which is the very body of Christ that was crucified and risen for us on Easter Sunday, or uh, Good Friday and Easter Sunday. So that is, that, that is clear. It's clear throughout the hymn so far. And then it says, with sincerity and love, eat we manna from above. Okay, eat we manna from above. This is a clear reference to God's provision, uh, providence, care, and uh, how he fed the children of Israel after they passed through the Red Sea waters in their 40 years of wandering. God provided manna for them every day, bread from heaven. And so in the same way that God provides for us, Jesus, who is bread from heaven. Now, Pastor, John chapter 6 goes into great detail as Jesus is preaching, Jesus is teaching, and Jesus says, your forefathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. In what way, Pastor, is Jesus the living bread or the living manna that comes down from heaven? Well, he, he is in the sense that um, he's the thing that gives us eternal life, and we, we do receive him in his word. We also eat his very body and blood in the Lord's Supper, uh, and when we receive Christ in these ways, we are promised eternal life through the uh, life, death, and resurrection that he's accomplished for us. And so in that way, he is uh, the bread of life, the very thing that gives us immortality. Now, this isn't the first place that we go when we talk about the Lord's Supper, definitely. We go to the institution, which is uh, even more clear than that. Not to say that Jesus' words aren't clear, but he is um, giving the people what they can uh, take at that time, and uh, we get even more clarity than the night he was betrayed before he goes uh, to the cross. In John chapter 6, Jesus is teaching the incarnation, 
In John chapter 6, Jesus is teaching the importance of faith. Unless you drink my blood and eat my flesh, you have no life in me. There are certainly allusions and overtones to the Lord's Supper, but this is not the Lord's Supper that's going on here in John 6. He's teaching about faith. And we just need to make sure that we keep those those clear, we keep those separate. And as you said, the place we go to begin our study of the Lord's Supper is always the verba, the words of institution. Let's listen now to verse 4 of LSB 633. Eat we manna from above. Alleluia. We have uh, great biblical imagery going on here with the uh, Passover lamb being slain, the the crossing of the Red Sea, and how that connects us to the Lamb of God, as John the Baptist uh, teaches us and points to Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Pastor, you want to read verse 5 as we continue this theme? Mighty victim from the sky, hell's fierce power beneath you lie. You have conquered in the fight. You have brought us light and life. Alleluia. Okay. Now, we don't have, we have a lot of imagery going on here in verse 5. We don't have that, that same kind of um, connection to the narratives that we've been talking about so far. Mighty victim from the sky. That almost seems kind of nebulous, doesn't it, Pastor? It does in a certain way, and this is probably where translation issues come in, because to take the ideas that are being done uh, and to bring them into English is difficult. But when we talk about uh, the the sky here, we're, we're definitely meaning the word heaven or from uh, the place where God is. The trouble is heaven has two syllables and sky has one, and so we have the word sky instead. And again, we have mighty victim. We're talking about Jesus, and so in a way it reflects, again, we talked this hymn has ambrosian flavor to it it reflects him 332 savior of the nations come where we talk about um, jesus who god the father was his source back to god he ran his course into hell his road went down back then to his throne and crown meaning he came from heaven where god is came down to earth did his work and then returned back to heaven and that's the same sort of picture that these words are laying out for us in this hymn yeah, that, that hymn, and we need to do that during the season of Advent, but that's uh, one of the few hymns that has a direct reference to Christ's descent into hell. Uh, Mighty victim from the sky, I think that's an allusion to the incarnation. Hell's fierce power beneath you lie, and that's, and that's uh, like laying, not like telling a lie. Uh, Christ conquer he's the victim and yet he conquers the fierce power of hell all at the same time you have conquered in the fight what fight are we talking about here pastor well we're talking about the uh, the fight between uh, good and evil between sin and uh, uh, righteousness between death and life and uh, Christ is the one who wins that battle uh, as if it was ever in question I mean in the sense that God is almighty and all-powerful but uh, it is to 
revealed to us that uh, Jesus is victorious and he has destroyed the power of sin, death, and the devil. We have uh, kind of imagery there that reminds me of a mighty fortress is our God, that, that conquering hero that we have. And then that last line, you have brought us life and light. Now, life and light are brought out uh, quite often in the Gospel of John. In what way is Jesus our life and our light? Well, he's our life in the sense that because he lives, we also shall live. As Paul writes, um, Christ is the firstborn, uh, the the first fruits of all of them that sleep, and uh, that means he's the first to be raised from death, and we will follow afterwards. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, he is our light then in the sense that he's the light that shines in the darkness, and uh, we the, the darkness has not understood it or been able to under overcome him. And so we do have these themes that are in the, the scriptures, and so they are important. Uh, uh, teaching this idea that is taught in John's gospel as well. And so it, it is kind of a neat thing that's being done here. Let's listen to verse 5 of LSB 633. Light and life in the death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What an amazing word picture. We need to take a short break. This is At Home in Your Hymnal. We're looking at LSB 633, At the Lamb's High Feast We Sing. Don't change that dial. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline. We're looking at hymn 633 at the Lamb's High Feast we sing. When we came back from our break, we heard verse 6, or stanza 6, if you prefer, of uh, that hymn. Pastor, do you want to read those words for us? Now no more can death appall, now no more the grave enthrall. You have opened paradise, and your saints in you shall rise. Alleluia. Alleluia. Okay. So why does death appall and why does the grave enthrall? What's the, uh, what's the thing going on here, Pastor? Well, I think to understand that, we can just look at the world today right now, right, where everyone is absolutely afraid that they might get sick and die. Uh, even uh, seeing dead bodies is a very traumatic thing for some people. In fact, that's why we have a whole industry where they uh, drain the blood out of people and replace it with embalming fluid to slow the decay. They make up the body so that it looks even better in the casket than it did in the hospital bed. And uh, this whole idea of trying to make death look like it's not so 
bad because it is bad and we don't like it. Um, and so death doesn't have to appall now because we know that that body, whether it's been preserved or not, is going to be resurrected on the last day and uh, will live before God forever if that person died in the Christian faith. And so the greatest enemy that every person has, whether, whether they're Christian or not, the greatest enemy is death. Yes. And uh, we can pretend that it's not an enemy. We can cover it up. We can excuse it away. But that enemy is still going to come to each and every one of us. Right. Uh, well, I mean, but then the second part now, no more the grave and thrall is key as well. Uh, your grave is not your final resting place anymore since Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of all of those that sleep. Uh, and, and so it's not a final resting place now where you're buried, but rather it's a resting place until the day of resurrection. And so uh, just keep that in mind then as you think about your own funeral and your own gravesite and even silly things like headstones and whatnot, um, or, you know, what do you put in the casket with the person that's passed away? All these things don't matter as much. The, the reality has been changed because death has been defeated by Jesus. And uh, the last part of uh, stanza six makes that clear. You've opened paradise. We know that believers... When they die, their soul is immediately with the Lord in heaven. God's word clearly teaches that. But that's not the end of the story, and that's where too many Christians get stuck or get bogged down. That's like the preview of coming attractions because the biggie, the big event is the physical resurrection where God will raise all the dead bodies on the last day. Bodies and souls will be reunited and the believer body and soul will be with the Lord Jesus Christ forever. And your saints in you shall rise. A very, very clear teaching and direction and pointing us to the fact that because Jesus is risen from the dead, you too will rise from the dead. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the centerpiece of our faith. And that's what allows us then uh, to come to church in the time of pandemic to be unafraid as the end draws near. And, and I'm sure you've seen this as well. Uh, so many faithful Christians as their end come, they're just ready to go and to be with Christ and they know what will happen. And uh, that gives us a great amount of comfort and joy. And confidence and confidence. Pastor, you want to read verse seven? Easter triumph, Easter joy, this alone can sin destroy. From sin's power, Lord, set us free, newborn souls in you to be. Alleluia. The importance of Easter in the life of a Christian, the importance of Easter in the life of the church. Pastor? Yeah, I mean, the whole hymn's been leading up to this verse in that sense. The pivot point at which everything changes for us is when Christ rises from the dead, and that declares that his uh, death on the cross really truly did forgive our sins, and that uh, because he has been raised from the dead, we also will live forever with him. And uh, I think that's a really key thing. Um, if Christ has been raised from the dead, then everything has changed for the entire world for all time. 1 Corinthians 15 says, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This victory over sin, death, and the grave, this Easter victory, Easter triumph, Easter joy, is the only thing that can and that has destroyed death. From sin's power, we are set free. 
newborn souls in you to be. Now, Pastor, that when we see that newborn soul, that makes me think of uh, baptism and Romans 6 again. Is that, uh, is that off base? I think that's appropriate, except, uh, not except, but in addition, uh, the fulfillment of that in that we'll be alive forever in God's eternal kingdom. Okay, well, let's listen to verse 7 of LSB What a uh, what a marvelous this uh, this hymn just keeps building like a crescendo more and more and more, um, and you know there are a lot of hymns that end with a doxological verse, a trinitarian verse. LSB has the little triangles by these and encourages people to stand in reverence to the uh, name of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Many hymns just simply mention. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this hymn goes above and beyond the call of duty, making this doxological verse an additional confession of faith. Pastor, you want to read verse 8? Yeah. Father, who the crown shall give, Savior, by whose death we live, Spirit, guide through all our days, three in one, your name we praise. Alleluia. Okay. More teaching here. Father, who the crown shall give, uh, I want to think of like Revelation 4 and Revelation 5. What do you think, Pastor? Yeah, that's a, that's a part of it. And then, too, I would say we have, you know, for example, in Greek, the word for crown is Stephanos. And so we think of St. Stephen, who at his death was given the crown of eternal life. And that's the same promise that's being made to us as well. In our death, uh, we still shall live. And so that's a great great blessing and promise. Okay, uh, and Jesus is crowned uh, the King of Heaven by his perfect obedience, life, death, and resurrection, and ascension to the uh, right hand of the Father, Savior by whose death we live. The whole hymn has been about that. Spirit, guide through all our days. What's that teaching us, Pastor? Well, it's teaching us that um, we're not left here alone uh, in this world as if we're supposed to earn our way into heaven, but rather Christ has sent a paraclete, a helper, to come and be with us uh, and create and sustain faith in us so that we might inherit all the gifts of God. And this is exactly what happens as the Spirit works through word and sacrament so that we might believe. Let's listen to verse 8, hymn 633, At the Lamb's High Feast We Sing. Three in one, your name we praise, alleluia. We are Trinitarian Christians, and thanks be to God that he uh, 
has loved us and given his son to die for us. We are eternally grateful for that. Pastor, uh, we need to uh, run this hymn through the Wolf Mueller Hymn Cruncher. I have a feeling this won't take long. Uh, number one, Jesus. Is Jesus mentioned, if so, in name or in concept? Yes, often and in concept very clearly and uh, as well as in name. Clarity. Is the song clear, um, sentence fragments, or complete sentences? Uh, it is very clear, and uh, you have uh, clear, complete ideas. Mysticism. Subjectivity versus objectivity. Is the song about things God has done objective or about my own emotions and experiences? Uh, it is mostly about things that God has done. Yes, and we rejoice in the fact that God has done that. So uh, it's not merely rhymed doctrine, but it is a majestic blending together of God's action and our uh, hymns of praise, our response. Law and gospel. Does the song proclaim law in its sternness and death in its sweetness? Is the gospel conditional? Uh, I think it does a very good job at this. Death appalls, and yet uh, Christ uh, raises us from the dead. Yes, uh, you you uh, you may not see any reference to uh, you know you're a poor miserable sinner, but you don't need that because death, death, death is a reminder of our sin each and every day. Is there any explicit false teaching? No. No. So, Pastor, you know, we've been doing this, and, and again, this is very subjective, but uh, we've been rating these hymns on a scale of 1 to 10. What do you think you might give LSB 633 at the Lamb's High Feast we sing? I mean, you got to put it up there towards the top again. You have uh, a great tune, great theology, clarity. Uh, I, I'd give it up in the 9 to 10 range, definitely. Yeah, well, this is a 10 for me, and... Uh, while uh, while there are many hymns that are great hymns, uh, this is a hymn that, even though it is relatively new, uh, the way it has been wed with tune and uh, words uh, in Lutheranism, this is a hymn that I am absolutely confident will stand the test of time, sung at Easter, sung at funerals, sung uh, during the distribution of the Lord's Supper, sung in many ways, and uh, teaching the faith as we have a lot of fun singing this uh, great and majestic hymn. Pastor, a word of encouragement for why a Lutheran should memorize hymns? and why a Lutheran might consider memorizing this hymn. Well, again, uh, memorizing a hymn brings that rich theology uh, to your mind in a clear, easy, simple way, so that when you're having a discussion about the faith, you're able to uh, recall the information quickly. And this one does a great job of teaching both the atonement uh, as well as the theology of the Lord's Supper and baptism, which are the ways that God creates and sustains faith within us, and so it's worth learning. We, uh, we've we been having a lot of fun with these hymns. We're going to continue now with, uh, in the next episodes, this is episode 44, by the way, when the uh, we come back with our next episodes, we're going to be spending the next few episodes looking at Lord's Supper or communion hymns. And so uh, we'd love to have your feedback. If you have a particular communion hymn that you'd like us to take a look at, we're happy to do so. This is At Home in Your Hymnal for... Pastor Adam Moline, I am Pastor Clint Poppy. We'll see you back again next time. God's richest blessings 
in the blood of the Lamb shed for you, Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Christ, the victim, Christ, the priest,